Hello, darkness, my old friend. I've come to talk with you again. I knew Tom would like that reference. But this morning we continue our Psalms Expression series. Uh, We've been walking together through some of the emotions and experiences that otherwise we might not share. Uh, The Psalms, uh, all together and separately, are a poetic invitation to live and express a full human experience before God that encompasses every feeling and every thought that we can imagine having. And the book of Psalms as a whole is filled with poems for every season and has been a source of inspiration for prayer and worship for centuries. And the poems collected in the book of Psalms invite us to praise and pray and protest as though these words are our own. The Psalms also invite us to bring our lived experience with us. Without the dynamics of our own experience, we find flat and empty poems and one-dimensional prayers. And so this morning, there's an invitation for us as individuals and as a community to bring our lived experience into this psalm. And in this series, we're focusing our attention on the psalms of lament Also called the Psalms of Darkness, this group of Psalms are sometimes heard as poems that lack faith and admit doubt. But for the community of God, the use of these Psalms is an act of bold faith. They become a declaration that the world must be experienced as it really is, not a carefully curated pretend life. These Psalms insist that all of life's experiences and feelings of disorder and darkness can and should be brought into the open with God. Nothing is out of bounds. Nothing is inappropriate. Everything belongs in this naked conversation of the heart before God. But maybe we don't know what to do with these psalms because we have believed that faith does not acknowledge and embrace negativity. We've thought that acknowledgement of negativity was somehow an act of unfaith. As though the very speech about it conceded too much about God's loss of control. Perhaps we've avoided these psalms as dangerous. Because they dangerously lead us into acknowledging what life is really like. They lead us into a world where everything is not civil and polite. They cause us to think unthinkable thoughts and utter unfiltered words. These psalms stretch us. They teach us to say things that we would never otherwise say. They lead us away from our managed lives and comfortable distraction to a terrifying admission of the darkness that surrounds and overwhelms. These psalms also invite a richer theology of who God is, and they invite us to join the faith-filled chorus of protest in the midst of the darkness. And they help us to unlock and unleash the deep cry from within against the darkness of what too many of us feel and live. 
And Psalm 88 takes us there too. Let me pray. King Jesus, we're exploring a dangerous poem together this morning. One that might lead us into places we haven't dared to go before. One that invites us to be vulnerable, to courageously share with one another some of the deepest feeling within us. Holy Spirit, I pray that you will help us to unlock and unleash what's within, to feel safe before you, to feel safe with one another. I pray that we might be truthful about the reality of life, our experience of life, and all that we carry within us and around us. We thank you for this psalm, Jesus, and we, we pray that we might be open to how you might have it speak into us today. In your name we pray. Amen. Psalm 88 takes us into this place of darkness and despair, like all of the psalms of darkness, with one significant difference. Where all the other psalms of lament include glimpses and declarations of hope-filled horizons, Psalm 88 finishes abruptly in the darkness. We'll get there. But the poem begins with a cry, a cry to Yahweh, the God of my salvation. And like all the Psalms of Lament, this one is inviting us to join a petition of protest to Yahweh, the God of salvation. Here at the beginning, the poet declares God as the God of salvation. And the Psalm, this poem, will be about whether or not this is true. And it's clear that this cry is not a momentary thought a passing moment, but a cry that goes out night and day, a protest that is welling up out of the constant chaos that overwhelms our poet. And the poet begins to unleash a deep and gritty overflow of emotion that tries to capture their experience of deep despair and isolation. Listen to me, O oh God, because I am overwhelmed with troubles. My whole person, mind, body, and soul is full of bad experiences. I feel like I am dying. I am thought of as those who go down into the pit. I am like a man without strength. I have been outcast among the dead like people who have already died. I am lying in my grave. I'm abandoned and forgotten. And I feel as though you have forgotten who I am, God. Have you ever felt like that? God, hear my prayer because I feel as though I'm already dead. Have you ever said that out loud or something like that? God, do you even remember me or am I dead to you? Now, lots of us like deep conversations. Uh, some of you even tell me you don't want small talk. You don't want to just talk about the footy or the weather. We want to have real conversations about what's really going on. Well, this morning, here you are. The poet's gone all in, opened himself up straight away to the deepest place, 
There is nowhere else he can open the darkest place within who they are. And this poet has opened the way for us to declare our deepest feelings to God, to ask God where he is, to tell God how we feel, to hold before him all that we are experiencing, no matter how despairing or negative or dark. Our poet invites us to join the protest before God, even against God. But not with surface emotions. God, I feel a bit bad today. And not with selfish petitions. God, this is what I want and I'll be okay. But to join in with the deep groan that bellows from deep within. What would that look like for you? What would that sound like for you? The first time I experienced a deep bellow rising up from within was when my friend Nathan died. He was 22. We were close and often together playing soccer, leading our young adult group, sharing a small group and sharing life as friends. I remember seeing him six days a week. That's how often we were together. And Sarah and I would spend hours every week with him and his wife and then he got sick. At first we thought it was just a bad flu. And five weeks later, he was dead, cruelly taken by lymphoma. He was gone. And this bellow, this deep groan rose from within. All of who I was protested against what had happened to Nath and his wife and to us. And I experienced for the first time in my life this deep cry from within and felt for the first time the overwhelming wave of grief come crashing down, the sobs that wreck your whole body, leaving you breathless and undone. The questions unanswered, the situation unresolved. And in Psalm 88, the poet invites us to let it out before God. There is no, it's going to be okay. You'll get through it. It'll turn out all right. But take it before God. Express it before Him. Have you ever let it out? Have you ever stood in a storm and shouted to God? Even shouted at God? Have you ever knelt on the floor and sobbed. Our poet continues, but his tone changes. God, you've put me in the lowest pit. You've put me in the darkest depths. I feel like I am the target of your burning anger and wrath. I feel as though you have overwhelmed me with smashing waves. You have taken away all my friends and have made me repulsive to them. I am trapped and cannot escape. In the first part of the poem, the poet was focused on themselves, describing their misery. And then they turned to God and how he is the one who brought the affliction. It's a protest, a complaint, a placing of responsibility on God. 
God, I feel like you are targeting me. God, I feel like I am drowning under the weight of all that is happening to me. God, I'm sinking here. It's becoming too hard. I'm carrying too much. I cannot do this anymore. The poem grabs at us, doesn't it? With its emotional expression of drowning in darkness, alone and isolated, being in the bottom of a pit as the water rises, the dark chaos of the water, engulfing, overwhelming. Maybe this poem describes something of your own experience. Maybe this psalm gives words to a deep emotion or experience that you have had. Have you been there? Have you ever felt like this? Not only is the poet overwhelmed by the waters of the dark and the deep, but the poet's also shunned by their friends, alone and drowning in the dark depths. The poet's eyes grow dim from misery. Have you ever experienced those feelings of being alone and isolated? Misunderstood, unheard, unloved, uncared for? We live in a world dominated by disconnection. Too many people living outside of healthy community. And even those that have community often feel emotionally disconnected, unloved even by those that they call friends and family. I think this poem gives words to that experience. Even this week, I spoke to another person in our church family who knows and is known by people, but who feels disconnected and unloved. What would it look like for us to be the kind of church family where people don't feel like this? What would it take for us to connect deeply? What would need to shift in the way each one of us connects with others here in this church family so that no one feels abandoned, alone, isolated? Our poet continues, I call to you, God. I've stretched out my hands in front of you, God. I'm holding nothing back. I'm letting go here, God. I'm just saying what I feel, what I think, and what I experience. It's, it's unfiltered, God. It's unedited. It's unrehearsed. Here it is, God. I'm putting it all in front of you. How I feel. How I feel about you, God. My deepest feelings, my most terrifying questions. Have you ever done that? Held yourself open before God? Given voice to those questions, those fears, that darkness? What would overflow out of you? 
What deep doubts and fears and hopes and emotions and questions would come welling up? Everyone has questions. Our poet has questions. He asks them here. Each one repeated in other words for emphasis. God, do you do wonderful and extraordinary things for the dead? Do ghosts rise up and praise you? God, is your love and commitment declared in the grave, your faithfulness in the place of death? God, are your wonders and extraordinary deeds known in the darkness? Is your faithfulness known in the land of oblivion? These are big questions. Thrown at God, accusing God, challenging God. What are your questions? For the poet, these questions are an attempt to remind God that people who die stay dead. The poet is complaining to God about being near death and suggesting that God is just going to let them die. God, what good is all of this? God, what purpose does it serve for me to drown in this darkness? God, what are you going to do about it? Have you ever felt that way? What questions do you have for God? I had some questions for God a few years ago when another friend of mine, Matt, lost his fight with brain cancer. Matt was one of my good friends, a Baptist pastor. He and his wife and Sarah and I and all our kids would connect and share life. He's a friend to some of us here. And, and Matt had become an important part of my world, a friend and a mentor. And then he died, leaving his wife and three daughters. And I had some questions for God, questions that echoed the psalmist. I pointed my finger at God and raged at him and voiced some of what was deep within. What is all of this for, God? What is the point here, God? Why has this happened, God? And again, I found myself wrecked with grief, but also anger at the injustice of it all. And that was while knowing that what I was experiencing wasn't at all the epicenter of grief as we watched his wife. Why him, God? Why them, God? Why will, when will this stop, God? Why this way, God? What questions do you have? Our poet doesn't give up there. Continues, the dead might not see God at work in the world, but God, I'll continue to cry out for help in the morning. I will not stop calling out to you, God. Here the poet contrasts the helpless and lifeless condition of those who are dead with their own near-death experience. And even though they are drowning in the darkness, feeling as though they are near dead, as good as dead, our poet declares an intention to continue to cry out to God. And he goes on, he says, Why, God? Why have you abandoned me? Why have you turned away from me? God, I feel as though I'm dying since I was young. I'm drowning under the horrors and terrors and despair that you have flooded into my life. They surround me like dark floodwaters. They encircle me 
and engulf me. This has gone on too long, God. For as long as I can remember, I have felt like this, God. I'm trapped here, overwhelmed and alone. Have you ever felt like that? Wondering when it will stop. Wondering why. What's the point of it all? Wondering where everyone in your life has gone. Feeling cast off and pushed aside by those who ought to be friends and family. Even by God himself. Where are you, God? The poem finishes powerfully, hauntingly. My only friend is darkness. Psalm 88 is jarring. It's uncomfortable. It's filled with powerful imagery of death and darkness, of floods and drowning. The unrelenting question of why gets no answer. But it's beautifully crafted. It's frightening in its darkness. Refreshingly real in its honesty. It doesn't pretend. And it doesn't patronize. And it presses us towards the only one who can make things right. The one who has the whole world, including our sufferings, in his hands and says, like it or not, this is the one we have to cry out to. You know, I think all of us have moments where we feel this way, some of this way at least. Even those that seem stronger, seem healthier, seem to be able to swim without drowning have moments. Spurgeon put it this way, fits of depression come over the most of us, usually cheerful as we may be, we must at intervals be cast down. The strong are not always vigorous, the wise not always ready, the brave not always courageous, the joyous not always happy. We all feel this way at times. But for too many of us, these shadows are not just passing moments or days, but seasons and years. Experiences of deep and dark depression that last for too long. I think the descriptions in this poem connect with all of our experiences. But I couldn't help but think of the far too many of us who are living with depression and anxiety as I read these words. Because this poem gives expression to many of the conversations we've had as you've shared with me what it feels like for you to feel overwhelmed and drowning, to feel trapped in the darkness, to feel isolated and alone. And it can be hard for others to understand what you feel and so you you feel disconnected and unheard and misunderstood. Another poet in 1845, a guy named John Clare, wrote a poem while he was in the Northampton General Lunatic Asylum, probably battling his own experience of mental illness. 
I am, yet what I am none cares or knows. My friends forsake me like a memory lost. I am the self-consumer of my woes. They rise and vanish in oblivious hosts, like shadows in love's frenzied stifled throes, and yet I am and live like vapors tossed. Into the nothingness of scorn and noise, into the living sea of waking dreams, where there is neither sense of life or joys, but the vast shipwreck of what my life's esteems. Even the dearest that I love the best are strange, nay, rather stranger than the rest. I long for scenes where man hath never trod, a place where woman never smiled or wept, there to abide with my creator God and sleep as I in childhood sweetly slept, untroubling and untroubled where I lie the grass below, above the vaulted sky. For me, that poem as well gives voice, give words to so much of our experience, to too many amongst us who live in the, the dark chaos of depression and anxiety. If this poem that I've just read, if this psalm gives words to what you're experiencing, I want you to know that we're here for you. And we want to sit with you and we want to join the protest with you. Because it might feel like everyone else around you has abandoned you. It might feel like God himself has left you behind. You are not alone. And what you're feeling is something that you can bring before God. This psalm invites us to. This psalm invites us to cry out again to God. Both the poem I just read and this psalm, I think, express a suicidal darkness. A, direct, a declaration that I live as though I'm already dead. Wouldn't it be better if I was? And I want to say, if you're in that place, we are not better off without you. The world is not better off without you. I was going to list some of what I know is happening in our lives. You know, we could list some of the darkness that exists out there. We can do that in other ways, I think. But even as I tried to write a list, I found it overwhelming. Because far too many of us here are experiencing overwhelming darkness. These parts of our stories often hidden and secret, only told in whispers and shadows as we speak of the mess and the murky reality of all that is deep down inside. Suppressed and ignored, we carry on without attending to the trauma of horrible histories. Or veiled and pretending we put on a show to let everyone know that we're okay. When really we're drowning, crushed under the waves of tragedy and darkness in here, we're despairing, oh God, where are you? The crushing waves of grief as we farewell our sisters, our mothers, our brothers, our fathers, our husbands and our wives. 
Worse, I think, are those who have said goodbye to children whose lives, those bright futures ripped from the arms of their mothers, unmet and unseen, the pain in their eyes. Oh God, why? And relationships torn as she walks out looking somewhere else for the life that she imagined as he looks at someone else, lustfully fulfilling his hidden desires. Another marriage is broken. Another family lives apart. The grief and the guilt and the pain that is left haunting in hollow lives lived with regret. Or she tries to stay as he yells and he hits, abusing and controlling. What choice is left? If she leaves, she has nothing. If she stays, she is bruised. This is, bruised. This is not life, oh God, help me, I'm drowning. What about those who mourn what they haven't had? Unrealized dreams of spouses and children. Life isn't fair, why them and not me? And what about those who live with the trauma of sexual assault and abuse and choices made by someone else, violently forcing another human to experience the horrible haunting of memories and pain that won't go away? Nightmares as companions that always remind the torture of living with the past. When does it get better? How long? Oh God, will it last? And cancer and death and all that goes with that, there's a slogan that says what we all want to say. Oh God, we've had it with that deadly disease. And getting old and dementia and losing our minds. They were strong and brave and now, God, they're so frail inside. What a horrible finish to life lived well. What's with that, God? We want to know. And that black dog that causes us to lose our life, sure, we're still living, but not living inside. Crushed under waves of anxiety, too many trapped by fear and what-ifs, life gets too hard. Mental illness is like living near death, trapped in the darkness, confused and adrift. We float out about aimless, choking and drowning, just clinging to life. And God, I've had enough. This cannot continue. I feel as though I'm drowning under the weight of the darkness that my family is carrying. Oh God of my salvation, where are you? Where are you, oh God? And isolated and abandoned, we live too afraid to share the darkness we feel inside. But today we want to give voice to our darkness as we let out our yorp. Our barbaric cry over the rooftops of the world, declaring before you, God, that it's not all right. Set us free from the silence of our drowning. Give words to the silent scream that rise, rises from deep within. Oh God, why and where are you? We cry out to you. Where to from here? Psalm 88 takes us to a space of darkness. There's something haunting about the way that psalm finishes. And one of the things Melinda said last week, and one of the things we continue to say about these psalms of lament, is that they're not designed to rush through. We can't begin them, rush through the hard stuff, and get to this point of resolution. So this morning we wanted to sit in that echo of darkness, to um, take our time, 
to lament together as a shared expression of what we experience together, the collective lament, I guess, but also to create some space and time for each one of us, uh, if it's helpful, if it's healthy, to unleash that cry, to invite that cry, and we continue to invite that cry. We want to do that together. We want to do that with you. And so this morning, we want to make sure that there's time and space for us to cry together, to share together, to not be okay together, um, and to sit in that space, to ask those questions, to name those emotions. Um, and so please, we want to do that today. Um, don't ignore it. Don't avoid it. Um, there's people here who will journey with you in that today. It also begs the question, when we read a psalm, like Psalm 88, that goes into the pit of darkness, where we're drowning and, and truthfully, truthfully acknowledging what's going on for us, we know that the story of God in the Bible is not just Psalm 88. So what do we do with that? How do we hold both this sitting in the darkness with the hopeful horizon of what we know is true about King Jesus and the future that he's promised? Now for me, I first think of stories told in the Gospels of Jesus in a boat with his disciples, and they are feeling overwhelmed by the dark and chaotic depths, the storm overwhelming the boat. And they cry out, wake up, Jesus, save us. And Jesus shows some of who God is and what he is like. And as the Lord of the storm says, be still. And the chaos, the dark depths, the overwhelming, crashing waves are stilled. In the Gospel of Luke, right next to that story, Luke continues with another story. When they get to the other side of the lake, they find a, a man in a cemetery, naked, covered in cuts, isolated from community, and haunted by hundreds of demons. They call him Legion. As far as I'm concerned, it's a description of someone completely lost in darkness, completely overwhelmed and haunted, completely at chaos. And Jesus, rather than ignoring him, rather than continuing to push him to the side of community and flourishing life, brings healing, restores his mind, restores his well-being, pushes back the darkness, restores him to community. The story goes on to say how that man went on to influence his village, to tell the good news that he found in Jesus. This poem, too, reminds me of where we find Jesus at the cross. He quotes a different psalm, but he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus himself, it seems, went to the bottom of the pit, overwhelmed by darkness, abandoned by friends, and feeling as though he is abandoned by God. But then the resurrection, the dawning of a new day, in the darkness, the glimmer of hope that King Jesus is alive. And that for us gives us an horizon beyond our current horizons, where we see unresolved suffering, where we see too many people dying. We see a future horizon, a new day dawning, where all things will be made right. That was my journey these last couple of weeks, of lamenting, experiencing an overwhelming feeling 
of carrying so many stories of darkness, my own and ours, saying, God, this is too much. We cannot bear this anymore. Where are you, God? Why, God? And then journeying with Jesus as he shows us more of who God is, as he takes us to the cross and then as he rises again. Let me pray for us. I'm going to invite us to share together, to share our experiences together. King Jesus, I thank you for a story of who you are and what you are like that says you are not far off and indifferent, but that you come close and walk with us in the darkness. Jesus, your story is filled with glimmers of hope as you show us what a future day will be like. We pray that you will help us to cling to that hope in our hopelessness. Jesus, in the darkness too, I pray that we will know that we are not alone, even when we feel alone. That we know that you've been there. Pray for our community together that we might get courageous about sharing with one another when we're not okay. Lamenting together, protesting together about all that is happening in our own lives, in the lives of the people we walk and share life with. Jesus, I pray for those of us who are doing okay at the moment. I pray that you'll give us eyes to see how we might love generously those around us. As a community, I pray that none of us will have the experience of feeling abandoned. And help us to grow in that. King Jesus, we want to cling to you and cry out to you and say that tomorrow we'll keep crying out to you, protesting before you. And saying we look forward to that day when you make all things right. We thank you for our time together this morning, Jesus. Amen. Please come and speak to each other, speak to us. Uh, But also please have a coffee. We'd love to share a story together. Maybe you can go deep, skip the footy in the weather. And go Psalm 88 in your conversations this morning. Thank you.